This is LBC with Nick Abbott. Call 0345 6060 973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Off to America. Let's talk to our US correspondent, Simon Marks, who is in San Francisco. Hello, Simon. Hello to you, Nick. Uh, do you have flowers in your hair? <laughs> Not yet, but I've only just got here. A week is young. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, Joe Biden must have a spring in his step, or at least, you know, as much of a spring as somebody of his advanced years can muster. He had a good set of results in the elections this uh, last week. He did, absolutely. You will remember uh, that this time last week, uh, we were poring over opinion polls that suggested Joe Biden really ought to be going uh, and spending the Thanksgiving holiday rethinking his decision uh, to run for re-election because there were at least two opinion polls that suggested that Donald Trump was beating Joe Biden uh, handily in five of the six key battleground states that ultimately will decide who wins the keys to the Oval Office. But then came Tuesday, uh, an off-year election election with results coming in from several states and it was a banner night for the democrats particularly uh, in states where abortion rights galvanized voters uh, to turn out we saw in the state of ohio uh, a state that donald trump won easily twice uh, we saw nonetheless voters there uh, choosing to enshrine abortion rights in the state's constitution we saw abortion rights activists mobilized in Virginia, denying the governor there, Glenn Youngkin, uh, of control of both houses of the state's legislature. That, by the way, dooms his uh, plan to run uh, a campaign to try and unseat Donald Trump as the Republican uh, presidential nominee. Uh, and also in Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir uh, easily won re-election. And he did so not just by championing abortion rights, but also by uh, promoting economic development uh, in the state. But notably, he won re-election uh, by never, ever mentioning Joe Biden's name on the campaign trail, even <laughs> though he's a Democrat. Uh, and so that raises the question, did Democrats last Tuesday win because of Joe Biden or did they win in spite of him? Joe Biden absolutely is seizing uh, these election results like a drowning man clinging to driftwood and saying this demonstrates that the American public is absolutely behind all of the issues that he has prioritized as president. That may be too kindly an interpretation to place on what happened on Tuesday night, but there is no question that the outcome of those real votes being cast in real states does raise questions about some of the polling data that we were pouring over on this very program seven days ago. Yeah, uh, the, is it possible that the thing that uh, right-wingers, the sort of Christian fundamentalists in America have been yearning for all this time, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the uh, restriction of uh, abortion rights in America, that, that now they finally got it. Is it the thing that could actually undo them? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, many Democrats argue that there's an obvious playbook here uh, for the party to adopt as it heads towards next November's presidential election, and that is completely to accentuate uh, the battle for abortion rights uh, in battleground states, those swing states that sometimes vote for one side, sometimes for the other, but always decide the outcome of the presidential race, uh, galvanize the electorate to turn out in order to defend abortion rights, which, of course, have been under attack as a 
result of the Supreme Court's decision uh, to strike down the Roe versus Wade opinion that had kept abortion legal across the country for the last half a century. And in, in, in light of that uh, decision, we've seen, of course, Republicans, particularly across southern states uh, in the United States, moving to restrict and in some cases uh, almost completely to ban abortion. Uh, so this is a pushback in uh, other parts of the country, these efforts to kind of enshrine abortion rights into individual states' constitutions uh, protects those abortion rights from any decision that the Supreme Court uh, might make in the future. But it also offers the Republicans a bit of comeuppance because remember that Republicans have spent decades arguing that it's up to individual states to decide uh, what level of abortion to permit or to restrict. This isn't a national issue. It's an issue that individual states have the right to govern themselves. Well, the people in Ohio just did precisely that, and they decided to protect abortion in the state's constitution. That is a 180-degree reversal of what Republicans were hoping might happen. Yeah, and Ohio, they had um, something else on the ballot, didn't they? The um, Whether to legalize marijuana or not. What happened there? Yeah, that's, that's right. And that passed handily as well, giving oh. you a really clear indication of the mood of the electorate uh, in Ohio. And it's not just a state that Donald Trump won twice in his two uh, presidential uh, runs. Uh, but uh, also, just a year ago, Donald Trump's hand-picked candidate for the Senate, Senator J.D. Vance, uh, who's an election denier, absolute, uh, you know, died-in-the-wool, make-America-great-again Republican, he easily won election in the state. So uh, something's happened in the last year uh, to persuade Ohioans uh, to back not just uh, abortion rights, but also the legalization of marijuana. And it's got to raise uh, some pretty serious questions for Republicans, at least in that particular battleground state ahead of next November's presidential election. Um, I have a, an excellent money-making uh, scheme. We could register the name <laughs> Ohio. We should do that straight away, Simon. By this time next let's year, we'll go and, be, let's go and do it immediately. We'll be millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Donald Trump. Uh, he's a no-show at yet another of those TV debates for the Republican candidates for the presidency. So the elephant in the room is that the elephant won't be in the room. Yeah, the elephant doesn't want to go into the room and Donald Trump uh, makes the argument that he's so far ahead of these also-rans in the race for the Republican nomination that there's no point whatsoever in him uh, sort of sullying himself by having to go into the room and debate with them. I mean, I have to say it was another... Uh, just jaw-droppingly awful uh, night of television for the Republicans. I mean, we saw Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, uh, who is just being lambasted every single day by Donald Trump and being urged to bow to the inevitable and get out of the race, almost begging Donald Trump during the course of the debate to show up for these debates, to provide them with some degree of legitimacy. And then we saw the uh, just astonishing uh, row between... Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, this upstart biotech billionaire who's never been elected to anything, I mean, never even been elected to, to, to the school board, but now thinks that he's uh, ready for the presidency, going after um, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, Donald Trump's former ambassador to the United Nations, and having an absolute ding-dong with her when uh, he criticized her for suggesting that he shouldn't be campaigning on TikTok because 
says it's an unsafe, you know, Chinese bit of technology. And yet her own daughter has a TikTok account. She rounded on him and said, don't even dream of bringing my daughter into <laughs> your voice, as she put it. And then she called him scum, wow. which is the first time in any American television debate, I believe, uh, that one candidate has ever called another candidate scum. So um, the, the whole uh, sense of this thing was uh, that, you know, they are absolutely scrambling around in the mud while Donald Trump, you know, 40 to 50 points clear of them all, uh, is sort of uh, just watching on from afar and uh, not has, has absolutely no intention of getting into the getting into the bear garden with them. Well, it's, it's not such a, um, uh, like a dive into the gutter to, to call one person scum. I remember uh, Trump, in, in one of these uh, televised debates, started uh, talking about his, um, his personal area. There's no problem there, I can tell you that. <laughs> you remember that? I do, I do remember that. I do remember that. And it's uh, it's lovely to imagine that we're continuing in the uh, the great American tradition of seeing just how far into the gutter uh, we can possibly uh, take American politics as this election approaches. I can't remember whether we talked about this last week, but it, it's, it's classic Trump. In the middle of one of his um, safe space rallies, he was going on and on. And he was talking about the U.S. this and the U.S. that. And he just stopped. They thought, and he said... <laughs> U.S. That spells us. Yes. No, nobody ever yes. thought of that before. <laughs> nobody ever thought of that before. But he's always coming up with these things that nobody's ever thought of that before. Nobody's ever seen the size of his lead in the polls before. Uh, but that was... Uh, there have been moments on the campaign trail, actually, to be serious about this, where just over the last few weeks, uh, he's made some rather odd appearances. He's slurred his voice. Uh, he seemed to have lost his, his train of thought, although that's not entirely new for Donald Trump because mm. it's all stream of consciousness half the time anyway but there have been some observers wondering precisely what is going on there and uh, you, you know for, for, from a republican perspective uh, one reason why some republicans think that he should be getting into these debates is because at some point you do need actually to to, to sharpen up and get ready yeah. for the prospect of tv debates with joe biden next year although i suspect the chances of those taking place are pretty minimal given the loathing that the two men have for one another <laughs> Now, of course, Trump wants to be on TV, but he wants to be on TV in court. What's the deal there? Yes, so Donald Trump is trying to get his upcoming uh, trial relating to election fraud. This, these are the, the, the federal government charges that are being uh, pursued against him. He wants it to be televised. Uh, now, traditionally, there are no cameras in federal courts, but he's filed a motion through his lawyers to try and get the thing televised. And it's absolutely apparent why he wants that to happen. I mean, as we saw in his New York civil lawsuit on allegations of business fraud, he is only too willing to turn courtrooms all over the land into stages for political campaigning. I mean, he turned that New York court a few days ago into basically a campaign rally, much to the fury of the judge uh, who kept telling uh, Trump's lawyers to try and control their client. And, you know, on this issue of election <laughs> interference, despite the fact that none of the facts support Donald Trump's 
continuing contentions that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president, he wants a national audience to testify and try and prove once again that the election was rigged. I think it's unlikely that that motion is going to be granted, but certainly uh, Trump, I think, will be eager to try and bring similar motions in the numerous other jurisdictions in which he's facing uh, criminal charges, 91 separate criminal counts levied against him so far, uh, because he thinks that, you know, the more he's on television, the better things uh, are for him. And, and, you know, frankly, the opinion polling data that we've seen over the last year suggests that he might not be wrong. He's definitely cemented his position uh, among Republican uh, would-be voters in next year's uh, elections and in the primary contests in ways that no political observer saw coming uh, even a year ago. Yeah, and he's already told us what he's what his priorities are going to be if yes. he wins next time, which will be to use the um, the, uh, the 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 security services of the state to go after people who have disrespected him. Yeah, it is absolutely clear, and the people around Donald Trump are now publicly. Uh, announcing his plans to engage in what Donald Trump has personally described as retribution. Retribution against the people that he believes have been disloyal to him, some of them from when, within his own former White House. A determination absolutely not to uh, bend over backwards to accommodate uh, sort of orthodox Washington officials. He wants to pack the government with Make America Great Again uh, far-right extremists. Uh, he wants to uh, strip the Department of Justice of its independence from the White House. He wants, in other words, to be able to order his Attorney General to launch a criminal probe uh, of uh, Joe Biden and the Biden family. Uh, he accuses them, of course, without any evidence of being an organized crime family. Uh, and he also wants to uh, crack down, we're told, on uh, immigration activists who have taken steps to try and uh, protect uh, undocumented immigrants in places like sanctuary cities that exist in various parts of the country. So this is, if were he to win election, his people themselves are saying this is going to be markedly different, markedly more extreme, and from day one, an absolute assault on the checks and balances that lie at the heart of America's Constitution, which is why Joe Biden, when he talks about the election, keeps conceding that he didn't uh, slay the dragon uh, in the 2020 election, that the stakes are enormously high, and frankly, for American democracy, maybe even even higher in 2024 than they were three years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, but it's it's not funny because if he wins again, he is never leaving. Uh, well, I think that there are certainly indications that he's willing to take steps that would dramatically change the uh, sort of time-honoured constitutional checks and balances that we've got here. I mean, he hinted, you'll remember, during his first term in office all the time, he hinted at the possibility just simply staying in office yeah. and uh, absolutely, uh, you know, maybe maybe I could have three, four, five terms yeah. in office. So it raises all sorts of very serious questions. Okay, let's talk about uh, Joe Biden because there's a big um, conference going on. It's called APEC and that is why you are in San Francisco, is that right? 
It is, and that is why you're probably hearing my voice echo through an absolutely cavernous media centre here. Um, I'm, I'm certainly in the vanguard of the uh, arriving journalists. There aren't many of us here uh, tonight, uh, but Joe Biden will be arriving in the city on Tuesday and on Wednesday here. He's going to be having his first face-to-face -face meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping uh, in a year. You'll remember that they met at the Bali G20 summit in November of last year. Everybody came out of that meeting thinking things were looking a little bit more optimistic in terms of the bilateral relationship between the United States and China. And then, of course, Joe Biden uh, was told that there was that surveillance balloon flying over American airspace and he had it shot down. That put the US-China relationship back in the freezer, even though, by the way, the Americans now concede that that balloon was not engaged in espionage activities. It was not uh, uh, trying to uncover uh, America's secrets. So an entire year in the bilateral relationship has been wasted. There's an opportunity to try and put things back on track on Wednesday, although nobody here, I think, is uh, anticipating very many uh, breakthroughs. There's also, uh, you know, uh, other countries represented here, 21 separate states, including the American hosts. This is the biggest international event in San Francisco since 1945, uh, when the city hosted uh, the conference that gave rise to the signing of the United Nations Charter, essentially uh, creating the United Nations. And it's a big moment for San Francisco. I can tell you they've cleaned all the streets in the immediate vicinity of this convention center of the homeless and the drug addicts that uh, have really dragged uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco's reputation down over the last several years. Walking through this city, uh, I mean, retail has been eviscerated here. I've not been in San Francisco for about three years. Uh, there is so much empty commercial property here, major shops, big brands that have pulled out of the city. Uh, and so the city authorities are determined to use this week in a bid uh, to rebrand San Francisco. And in the words of one local reporter I was interviewing yesterday, to make it clear that uh, San Franciscans have not decided to flee. Um, it's a pretty low bar if your efforts to rebrand the city are to persuade people that everything's great because the local residents have not decided uh, to flee. But it's also a pretty low bar if the best thing that can come out of a U.S.-China summit is an agreement uh, to uh, reinvigorate a military hotline that is designed to make sure that U.S. and Chinese fighter jets don't accidentally uh, collide with one another in the skies above the South China Sea. Whether either of those goals over the course of the next five or six days is attainable, you and I will know by the time we talk next week. So is it about trade then? Because uh, am I right in thinking that America is busy onshoring rather than embracing global yes. supply chains? And it's the global supply chains that's China's, that's what China relies on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not just China that is coming here hoping that Joe Biden might agree to a slightly more liberal approach. I mean, in terms of China, of course, uh, Joe Biden has been much more aggressive, uh, restricting Chinese technology uh, and U.S. investments in Chinese technology, even than Donald Trump was. And he doesn't seem to be minded to ease up on that because Biden's economic policy is entirely based on creating industry at home that can compete 
compete with China. So he wants America to start making semiconductors, not continue buying Chinese ones. But there are lots of other countries that will be represented here uh, that say they want market access to the United States. They want talks to begin on free trade agreements. There's a rather uh, loftily titled uh, agreement uh, that's in the works here called the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Uh, and one of the questions about the text that is being prepared for that is, does it give any indication that Joe Biden, in his efforts to show that America is serious about engaging in the Indo-Pacific region, is he willing to provide market access, uh, let alone free trade agreements, to some of the countries that are represented here? And there's no indication that he is. And so many of these countries are sitting there saying, well, hang on a second. I mean, you, you want to show that you're deepening your engagement uh, in the Asia-Pacific region, but you're not even willing to give us half a loaf on the issue of trade um, at a time when China, of course, is very aggressively pursuing uh, trade deals and other uh, deals with countries in the region and has expansionist tendencies. So it's going to be a big test uh, for the Biden administration's ability uh, to say, genuinely that it is um, putting together alliances and uh, influencing uh, people in America's own Pacific backyard. And just finally, uh, Simon, uh, are they together uh, as far as the uh, the war in Gaza is concerned or do they are there no. fundamental differences? No, it's a really good question, and they're not. Um, and particularly uh, when it comes to Indonesia and Malaysia that are members of APEC, of course, they have very uh, large uh, Islamic populations, uh, and they have been vigorously critical of uh, President Biden for not pressing uh, for a ceasefire. Other countries here are getting increasingly uh, nervous and are also expected to pressure uh, President Biden. The Chinese are, uh, of course, uh, not only... Uh, not backing Biden over Gaza. They're not backing him over Ukraine either. They're pursuing their own uh, proposals for a peace plan uh, with regard to the conflict in Ukraine. So this is going to be a further indication of, uh, you know, the limits uh, of um, unity that can be forged at events like this under current circumstances. And I don't think anybody here expects there to be any kind of agreed uh, declaration on Gaza that, that, that achieves anything uh, because there is so much disagreement and, and frankly fury certainly on the part of the Indonesians and the Malaysians with the way in which the Biden administration has been handling, uh, they say, giving Israel a green light uh, to continue its uh, assault on Gaza because uh, the Biden uh, administration says the only people that will benefit from a ceasefire will be Hamas. Very good to talk to you, Simon. As always, thanks so much for that. Simon Marks, LBC's US correspondent. Coming up at four on LBC, Richard Spur. With a large question mark now hanging over the future of the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, not least because of her stance on protests, do you think she should be sacked? Richard Spur on LBC.